with us uh, very much this year. Uh, you've probably picked up on the fact that we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And so we've uh, hit the summertime, we started Ephesians 4, but we began doing the Ephesians hokey pokey a little bit. We're one foot in and one foot out and turn all about. And we've kind of been in and out of Ephesians 4 last week uh, or last time uh, that I was with you. We kind of uh, uh, we finished up Ephesians 4. There, there may be some things in a couple weeks that we'll come back and, and, and touch on in the future. Uh, but this morning I want to go ahead and press ahead to Ephesians chapter 5. And so uh, if you look in your Bibles, we're going to have one verse as far as this is going to be our jumping off point. We will come back and look at Ephesians 5, even this passage uh, a little more deeply in the coming days, but this morning I just I want to draw your attention to Ephesians 5, 1 that says to us, says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Now, now again, we'll come back and, and we'll talk a little bit in the future about what it means to be an imitator of God. But, you, you know, if, if I could pick one passage that would sum up, you know, most of almost everything that is in the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5.1 is one of those key passages. It definitely, in my opinion, if you look at uh, especially chapters 4 through 6, I think Ephesians 5.1 would be the summary of everything Paul is talking about in chapters 4 through 6. One of the key passages in all of the book of Ephesians. And so, uh, again, we'll come, we'll look at in, in, in the future at what it means to be an imitator of God. But this morning, I want to concentrate on the second half of that passage, which, which talks about being dearly loved children. Hey, by the way, uh, can y'all maybe uh, turn me down a little bit in the monitors up here? The, the house is good, but the monitors are a little high up here. Um, but I just, I just seem a lot louder this morning, uh, and so I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, so, um, uh, you know, it says that you are dearly loved, okay? You are dearly loved by God. And so this morning, I, I, I want you to understand that. I want you to know that you are dearly loved. You know, a, a lot of people would say, well, well I know that. You know, like I, I get that in my mind. If you ask me, do I believe that God loves me? I mean, I do believe that God loves me, but the reality is it's very possible that there are some of us in the room this morning, although you know that God loves you, you have a cognitive knowledge of it, uh, sometimes we get to points in our lives where it doesn't always feel like God loves us. You know, kind of reminds me of being a kid. When I was a kid, my concept of love really had to do with how I felt, which, by the way, is the problem with a lot of relationships when you become an adult. Because Paul says, when you become an adult, you need to grow up, okay? Love is more than a feeling, okay? You can have feelings when love is attached, but boy, it's, it's much different than that. But when I was a kid, you know, if I sat down and really thought about it, I knew that my parents loved me, but there were times when it didn't always feel like my parents loved me. Like, like when I was little and we'd go into a store and I saw a game that I wanted and I wanted that game for my Atari 2600 and my parents wouldn't buy it. 
I, I, I don't feel very loved. You know, when I got a little older, it became the obsession went from Atari to Nintendo. And every time I went in a store, there was some new gadget for the Nintendo. I, when I was in sixth grade, this glove thing came out, and, and it just looked like the coolest thing. If you ever had one of those gloves, it was one of the most useless like gadgets, but man, I wanted that thing, you know, but my parents, they didn't buy it for me. I, there were times where I was like, man, I don't know, I feel, feel loved, you know. Uh, now, I, again, I, I knew that my parents loved me, but there were times I just didn't always feel that way. There were times when they would, you know, I would think, you know what, I want to go somewhere, I want to go on, on a trip. I saw people on television in California. I'm a little kid, I think, let's go to California, you know. My parents were like, we can't take you to California right now. You know, that's a long drive, and, you know, we have jobs. I didn't understand any of that stuff. I was oblivious, you know. So why won't they take me to California? Why won't they take me to, to, to Disneyland or any of these things, right? And, and so, but I knew, when I sat down, I knew that my parents loved me. There were times when, when I would want my parents to fix something. Something would go wrong, and I'd want them to fix something in my life. And, 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 and they wouldn't or really a lot of times they couldn't you know my parents couldn't control whether or not somebody got sick my parents couldn't control you know whether or not somebody passed away that, that we knew and that we loved they had no control over that but as a child you know sometimes you, you don't you're just not thinking about that and you, you get upset and you're kind of dealing with those emotions and you know my parents you know a lot of times it's not that they wouldn't fix something. Sometimes they couldn't. But you know, God's different than that, isn't he? Because God can, God could and he can do anything he chooses to do. But you know, there are times when we pray and we ask and we beg and God does not answer the way that we want him to. And those are the times, sometimes that we begin having these conflicting feelings. We, we're uncomfortable. We don't, we don't feel right about it. And if we're, if, we're not com- if we're not careful, the enemy, like Paul says, don't give the enemy an opportunity because, you know, uh, we get those feelings and if we don't deal with them properly, you know, the enemy starts sneaking in and says, hey, God, God doesn't love you. God doesn't really care about you. If God was really just, this never would have happened. God doesn't hear your prayers. There's just no use talking to him anymore. And we hear the enemy of God, you know, baiting us and trying to push us and tug us away from the will of God. And I want you to understand this morning that you are dearly loved. You are dearly loved. God loves you. I never doubted, like I said, when I sat down and thought about it. I never doubted my parents' love. And when you and I sit down and think about it, when you and I, if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you begin to read the Bible and you begin to pray and you fellowship with other believers and you really begin to think about things, you know that God really loves you. You know, I know that a lot of folks in our church and in our community have been through a lot over these Past few weeks and months, you know, um, the death of a, of, a, of a student, young, vibrant student, um, known by many and loved by many in our community, and that has affected many of us in here. Uh, 
just the other day, Miss, uh, Miss Penny Wagner went home to be with the Lord, and that has an impact on people who know and love her and, and love Larry as well. And, you know, you look around, we know that in recent days we've had church members diagnosed with serious cases of cancer, and they're trying to get treatment and looking at all these options. You know, Leah and I have friends in other cities and other states who, uh, who are going through really difficult days in, in their marriage relationship, and, and that's causing issues uh, within their families and within their friends and their, their children. And, you know, just the other day, some of you probably remember that, uh, probably saw on Facebook that Leah and I took a little trip back to Olive Branch, Olive Branch, South Haven area, and uh, to go to a wedding, and we, we got into town in South Haven on Friday night, we needed to get a couple things, I wanted to get a different shirt for the wedding, and so we, we stopped, we had to go to a store, there's a huge shopping complex, uh, but there's a Walmart there for that shopping complex, you might have heard or seen something about this on the news just a few days ago. Um, a Walmart, disgruntled Walmart worker walked into that Walmart and uh, began shooting and, and I know at least two people died. They had the Walmart shut down there as we drove past it. I, Walmart closed until further notice. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe that. And so they had a vigil, media and all this stuff going on, a vigil for those that died. We, on our way home, we heard about another shooting at another Walmart down in El Paso, Texas, where I think 20 people died and 24 people were injured. And then this morning, you get, get news of another mass shooting where at least nine have, have been killed in Dayton, Ohio, when, when a gunman opened fire, um, you know, in a tourist area. And so this is the world that we live in. And, and, and if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in all the things that are wrong with the world and all the things that we wish were different with the world, we can get so caught up in that that, that we, we forget about the things that are right with the world. We forget sometimes about the things that are good with the world. We forget sometimes, even as believers, we can get so emotionally wrapped up in those things and, and we can forget about the love that God has for us. God loves you. That's why Paul tells uh, the Ephesians in chapter 3. He says, listen, he says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able, able to comprehend with all the believers what is the length and width and height and depth of the love of God. Paul says, I want you to not forget how much God loves you. Because he loves you. He tells them in chapter 5 here. He says, you need to imitate God. Because you are dearly loved children. He dearly loves you. You're not, listen, God's love, the love that God has for you. It's not some weak little butterflies and mamby-pamby kind of love, emotional kind of uh, feel-good love. I mean, you may feel good, and that's okay. I mean, when we're loved and we realize it, it does make us feel good. But God's love for you goes deeper than emotion. His love for you goes, go, goes deeper than that. Because, friends, listen, emotions are deceiving. Your emotions, you want to get off track in life, you live life by your emotions. 
And that's going to take you right away from the will of God real quick. I'm not saying you shouldn't have emotions, but I'm telling you, when you let those emotions control you, and whether they be happy emotions, sad emotions, angry emotions, discouraged emotions, when that is the driving force of your life, that takes you right out of the will of God really quickly because emotions are deceiving. And God loves you with a love that's deeper than that. You say, well, how do you know? Well, first of all, throughout Scripture, he proclaims it. Malachi chapter 1, uh, uh, the, God says to the prophet of Malachi, to the people of Israel, he says, I have loved you. And the people of Israel say, oh yeah? How do we know? How have you loved us? You see, that was a time in their lives, if you study the book of Malachi, when Israel was upset and they were discouraged because God was not responding to their prayers and to their worship. He was not answering the prayers that they had, uh, that, that they had to Him. And, and things were not happening the way that they wanted them to. And, and so God sends this prophet to say, Hey, people, don't forget that I love you. And they say, Oh yeah? Well, what have you done for me lately? If you go on and, and read that, he begins to explain to them all the things that he has done for them. Listen, we have to understand that there is a God that loves us. The, the problem with the people of Israel in Malachi 1 is not that they were not seeking God. It's the fact that they were more concerned about the hand of God, what God could do for them, than they were about the heart of God, which is what God wanted for them. So you and I have to be careful not to let the pursuit of the hand of God, hey God, do what I want. I want you to do A, B, and C. I want your hand to show up and touch this situation. And we should pray for those things. But we need to be careful not to let our pursuit of the hand of God navigate us away or cause us to miss the deeper pursuit of the heart of God. And so the people of Israel, that was what was going on at that particular point in time. In Malachi chapter 1, they had missed the point. God doesn't, listen, God doesn't want you to simply go through the motions. They were, if you study that, they were just going through the motions. They were going to worship, they were doing the stuff, but their heart was not in it. They didn't really care. It was kind of like, hey God, I'll scratch your back by going to worship and doing these little sacrifices but we want you to scratch our back uh, by doing whatever we ask you to do and making our lives easier. And they completely missed the point. See, God doesn't want you to just go through the motions. He doesn't want half-hearted sacrifices. God wants your entire life. He wants your entire heart. And, and listen, let me tell you something. Anytime I talk about stuff like this, there's always that, those group of people and, and we see it a lot of times with the younger generations because we're so much into things that are organic and authentic and you know all this thing. And they think, well, man, if I can't serve God with my whole heart all the time, then I'm just going to give up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying give up. I'm saying go deeper. That's what God, is, that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to give up. He doesn't want us to throw it aside. He wants us to go deeper. He wants us to stop pursuing his hand and start pursuing his heart because you are dearly loved by him. And here's the beauty of it all. Because you're dearly loved by God, he doesn't just proclaim it, but God also portrays it. 
1 John 4, in fact, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. You go on here down to verse 19, it says that we love because God first loved us. How do we know what love is? Love is God. You want to know love? Get to know God. He is the very definition of love. And I'm not talking about the world's definition of love. I'm talking about the love that was creator by the per, created by the creator who created the universe. That is love. You say, well, well, okay, so God is love. That's great. So how do we love? What does it look like? How can we love? Uh, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, what does it look like? How is it even possible? John goes on to say, hey, look. You could not love anything or anyone if God had not loved you first. You do not even have the capacity to love apart from the uh, intervention of the love of God in your life. That's why when I'm talking especially to a, a student or a young person and they tell me, hey, I'm dating someone, one of my very early questions to them, if we're able to talk at all, is does this person know Christ? Do they love Jesus? Because the reality is, is that you cannot be loved. That person would be incapable of loving you the way that God intends you to be loved if they, he or she, does not first know the love of God. Because God is the one who portrays it. He's the one, he's the source of it, but he demonstrates it for us as well. You know, yesterday, um, Leah and I you know, said we went to, uh, to uh, Olive Branch on Friday. We, we had a wedding to be at on Saturday. It was a beautiful wedding. One of a uh, couple students that, that, that we had ministries with, Leah actually had the young man, the groom that got married, was one of her students in school. And from very early on, he, he made it known that he felt called to the ministry. He didn't have any idea what that was going to look like or be like. But he knew from, uh, from being in 10th grade, he was called uh, to ministry. And then one of the young ladies that was in our church, in our youth group, I had her, I think, from 7th grade to 12th grade. Uh, she was one of our key leaders, just an amazing young lady. She used to keep our kids, like we have some wonderful young ladies here that help keep our kids as well. But, but these two people who went to different schools, God brought them together. and they getting married, and uh, they're being called into ministry and they're getting ready to make a jump into ministry it's just it's really cool everything it was a god glorifying ceremony and there's this this point where uh where i'm, I'm we're sitting in the back leah and i are of this uh this auditorium and and uh we got the boys and i got caleb on my lap and he's kind of wiggling around so i'm kind of having to hold him still and we're watching trying to see what's going on leah's up there trying to take a picture and, and they had just done uh, what's called like a unity cross. They didn't do a unity candle, it was a unity cross. I, I, I'd love to come explain that to you some other time. But it was really neat. And so after the unity cross, they, they, they're standing there and you could tell they're praying. Well, after a couple minutes, uh, you know, I was looking down and keeping Caleb still and I looked up and Leah's got her phone and she's taking a picture she's zoomed it in and I see this big grin on the bride's face and, and a, a, maybe even a little giggle and I thought, I thought, okay, well, they're done praying. I said, Lee, I said, is he telling her a joke or something? And she said, no, I think they're worshiping. I was like, oh. And, you know, there was worship music playing in the background, so I kind of looked. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're worshiping. I mean, it was the coolest thing. What better way to start a marriage, any marriage, but especially a marriage where you're going to be serving the Lord than to worship God together. And part of the ceremony was just to, 
It, it, was, it was an amazing thing to think about that and to see that. And so uh, I, I loved that, you know. So, so, so that's, why, that's why one of my first questions, you know, that I have for people when they tell me they're dating is, does that person love Jesus. See, all throughout Scripture, the relationship between God and His believers is compared to and linked to various relationships within the family unit. That's why, by the way, friends, family is so important. Your theology, the, 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 what, what the Bible teaches about family is so important because it is, so many things are connected to it, but one of the things is reflective of God's relationship with us. We know in scripture, uh, many scriptures uh, tell us that God is our father. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on the ones who fear him. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, God is your father, you're his child. Some people say, well, we're all child, children of God. Well, if what you mean we're all created by God, we're all created in his image, that's true. But the biblical definition of a child of God is a person who has submitted to his will, who's come to him through faith in Christ. As, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on the ones that fear him. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 49 compares the love of God to the love that a mother has for her child. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. He is saying there is a mama out there who's going to forget about the baby that she carried and that she nursed and even is nursing right now. There is a mama out there that will forget about that baby before I'm ever going to forget about you. Now, if you're a mama out there, you get that, right? You understand that. And so, so we, we, we see that it's compared to his relationship between a, a father and his child, a mother and their child, is this relationship with God. But another relationship that we see in Scripture that's reflective of our relationship with God, we see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this is consistent uh, from bookend to bookend in Scripture, the relationship... Uh, that most reflects the kind of love that God has for his church and for his people is the relationship between that of a groom and his bride. You know, the marriage relationship is the most significant, the deepest, most significant relationship created by God, given unto man, so that, so that it would reflect to us the kind of love that he has for his church. Why? Because you're dearly loved. Scripture tells us that, uh, that if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only is he your heavenly Father, but you are part of the church. You are a member of his church, not just this church at First Baptist Perryville, but the church of God, the, 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 the body of believers. And he calls that the bride of Christ. You are his bride and you are dearly loved. The book of Hosea gives us an amazing illustration of God's love. If you look in Hosea chapter 1, you see that Hosea is this prophet of God and, and God tells him to do something unthinkable. Okay, 
He says, I want you to go marry this prostitute. I want you to go find this prostitute, not former, current, and I want you to propose to her and make her your bride. Now, I want to tell you, I've got a chance to counsel some people who are in ministry about relationships. Um, This is not what I would typically counsel them to do, okay? Hey, God's called you to the ministry. Great, go marry a prostitute, okay? That's, That's not practical advice. But God tells Hosea to do that. So Hosea goes, he marries her. You know the story, I'm sure. They get married, they have children. They begin this life together. He takes her out of this this lifestyle of sin and shame and all of this stuff. He provides for her. He loves her. And you know what she does? She walks out. She, She hit the door. She was stepping and she was gone. You know where she went? Right back to that same old lifestyle of sin and shame, prostitution. Man, I mean, I cannot even imagine or fathom what that must have felt like. But you know, God tells Hosea to do something even more unthinkable in chapter 3 than he did in chapter 1. He says, I want you to go again. I want you to go find your wife, her name's Gomer. Go again and show her love. Yes, this woman who has given herself to other men, who is living in sin and is not doing what she is supposed to do. I want you to go and show her love because that's the kind of love that God has for you. Now, if you have ever been in a relationship, even out of marriage, and you've been in a relationship where somebody has cheated on you in one way or the other, or in a marriage relationship where adultery has been involved and you've kind of been the victim of that, you understand the pain that is involved in that. Okay? Now imagine this. God feels that kind of pain when we sin against Him. And yet, He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Now, if you've been through that situation, I'm not telling you that that, um, this is not saying that you're forced to go, you know, Try to just take that person back. I'm not, that's not where we're going with this, okay? This passage, though, is, uh, is an illustration of the depth that God, the depth of the love that God has for you and me. It is a portrait. It is a picture of what the love of God is to us. The love of God offers forgiveness to any and to all who would receive it. That's why the prophet Jeremiah says in 31, I have looked with you, or God says through the prophet, I have looked with you at you with an everlasting love. Therefore, because I love you, I have continued to extend to you faithful love. See, God loves you. You are dearly loved. And he, listen, he proclaims it. He portrays it. The last thing I want you to understand is, is, is he proves it. He proves it. Romans 5.8 tells us that God proves his love for us in this way. And that even while we were sinners, Christ loved us. See, you don't have to clean yourself up for Jesus. You, you don't have to, you, you know, a lot of people think, boy, I, have to, I need to shine myself up, you know, before I go to church. No. 
you come to Jesus and He'll begin to shine you up from the inside out. You don't pursue the hand of God and, and not the heart of God. There is a God that loves you. Listen, let me, let me ask you something. And don't raise your hand, okay? But I just want you to think about this. How many of you would risk your life to save a, a little baby? And I know this is extreme, but let's just say you're, 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 you're right by some railroad tracks and for whatever reason somebody dropped off and abandoned a baby right on the railroad tracks and in, in the distance you see the train and you hear the horn and you see it coming. And you know that in a split second it might be close, but you think you could probably get to that baby. Would you put your life in danger for that baby? A lot of us probably would, especially if it was our child, no matter what they've done. But let me flip the script. How, how many of you would put your life on the line, put yourself in danger to save somebody that has harmed you or harmed someone that you love? A violent, repeat criminal offender. How many of you would jump up to try to pull that person off the tracks? Now, I, I'm telling you, here, here's the thing. The love of God goes beyond anything you or I could ever, ever fathom or think about. And God's love for you is a love that no matter what you have done, where you have been, He's wanting to grab you. He wanted to, he, he's put himself on the line for you. In fact, not only does, did he put himself on the line, but Scripture tells us he died for you. That's what Jesus was all about. Jesus dying on the cross proves the love of God. No matter what you've done, Jesus died for you. He wants to save you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to shelter you. He wants to forgive you because you are dearly loved by God. John 15, 13 tells us no one has greater love than this than, uh, than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than a person that's willing to lay down his life. Jesus laid down his life for you. You know the verse. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only or his only begotten son. So that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. You are dearly loved. God proclaims it. He portrays it and he proves it. And so I want to leave you with one final passage in a lot of these things with the Apostle Peter, how the Apostle Peter calls believers to respond in light of that love. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 6 and 7 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Why? So he would exalt you at the right time. And he goes on to say, cast all your care upon him because he cares about you. He loves you. No matter what you're going through, there's a God that loves you. If you're around my family very much, me with my kids, when they're not completely stressing me out, um, I will often 
just whisper down in their ear, hey, daddy loves you. You know, I do that all just random and say, hey, daddy loves you. A lot of times I'll say, we'll be standing somewhere else, I'll say, hey, hey, who loves you? And they'll say, mama and daddy. You know why I do that? Because I want them to understand from an early age that no matter what they do and no matter what they go through in life, mama and daddy love them. And mama and daddy are there for them. Listen, friends, no matter what you go through in life, you've got a heavenly daddy that loves you. You are dearly loved as a child of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have access to that kind of love. And so, friends, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to cast all your cares upon Christ because He cares about you and you are dearly loved. Let's pray.